We started a series last week called Coronation. And it's about understanding exactly the identity of who Jesus of Nazareth is. Uh, that he is more than just a guy and he is more than just a credential leader of God. He is more than even just somebody who came to save the world. He is all those things. But he is, by virtue of his identity as God incarnate come to earth and through his power, through the resurrection of rising from the dead, proving and establishing himself, he is declared the authority over all heaven and earth. He is the King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And we are here to see what it means to crown him, to give a coronation to the one true king. We are, I'm going to take you to two passages of scripture and show you some others. If you want to stick a finger in them or find them on a device, the book of Colossians and the book of Mark. You can just, if you have a Bible with you or access to one, if you don't, we have free ones you can get at our welcome counter. But I invite you to take a look there with me. Explore now what, what do we do with that fact? As we do, I want to introduce you to this guy. This is Louis the Nineteenth, who was once the king of France. In 1830, his father, Charles X, was the reigning king over France, and he came under a whole lot of scrutiny and a whole lot of criticism, and a revolution broke out in July of 1830, where the people wanted to cast off his kingship because they hated his policies, and they felt he was too repressive, and, it, and under fear of death, Charles X reluctantly abdicated his throne. He stepped down and he said, I will not be the king any longer. And through the royal progression, Louis XIX became the king of France. People had been clamoring for Charles to be ousted. He was ousted. And now Louis XIX steps in. And when he stepped in, the people decided they didn't want Louis XIX either. They didn't want an offspring of Charles X. They didn't want anybody like, like him. And so there were more threats and there were t- talk of assassination. And so Louis XIX stepped down and abdicated the throne after 20 minutes as the king. There is a, th- a truism in life and that is just because you are installed through a formal public binding pronouncement that some state is true and lasting, it doesn't mean it'll be fully enacted, does it? And if you need more recent proof of that, you can look at people like this. Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys, who publicly declared their love for each other, that they would, bow, that they would love each other for, you know, till death do they part, and it lasted for 72 days. But they were beaten by Mario Lopez and Allie Landry, whose commitment lasted two weeks. Of course, there was Carmen Electra and Dennis Rodman, whose union lasted nine days. But they were beat by Britney Spears and Jason Alexander, whose undying love and pledge lasted a total of 55 hours. Still not the record in Hollywood. The record, as far as we know, was actually set by Rudolph Valentino and Gene Acker, who were married for a total of six hours. Six hours of undying love. If I was at that reception, I would demand for my toaster to be returned. Just because a public, formal, binding pronouncement is made about something doesn't mean 
that it will be fully enacted. And that is true about the coronation and the kingship and lordship of Jesus the Christ. Now, we looked at Colossians 1 last week. I want you to just notice a couple things about it again. And I'm just going to read a little bit, starting with verse 13. This is what Jesus, the King, the God in the flesh, who came, sacrificed himself, died on the cross, rose in glory, ascended to heaven. This is what it says of what he's done for people. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into, here's the nomenclature, the kingdom. He's the king of a kingdom. He's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, the Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. It's a powerful statement about the authority in the hand of Jesus the Christ. We talked about this last week, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things, the material universe, holds together. He is the God who holds it together. Then it says in verse 18, and he is the head or Lord or master of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that, and look at this phrase, in everything he might have the supremacy. That's how my translation has it. He might have the full total authority. That's what's been established. But being installed as the king can still meet some roadblocks because what that passage says is that he has done all things so that something could follow, so that in all things he could have the supremacy. It doesn't say that in that moment he absolutely does. It's so that it could happen. He could functionally be the king, functionally be the Lord over all things, have the supremacy. And it is possible that there are some roadblocks to the coronation of the one true king in people's lives. Can I say it this way? In your life, in my life. We're going to end by talking about the fact that he is the king and he is the Lord. But the question is, is he functionally your king, my king? Is he my Lord? Is he your Lord? Because there are some alternatives that sometimes get in the way of recognizing who exactly Jesus is in our lives. So we're going to talk about a couple different crowns that he could be crowned with that aren't the Lord of all crown. The first one we want to talk about is what we might call the ceremonial crown. For a whole lot of folks, Jesus is crowned with a ceremonial crown, like a figurehead. It's kind of a decorative crown. Sometimes people... They go to Burger King and they get those little cutout crowns. You know, they put those on your head. If it's your birthday, they'll put a little crown on there. Some of them say, king for the day. And they'll, and they'll say, it's your birthday. You're king or queen for the day. But they don't really mean that, right? Because you don't get everything you want. It's a ceremonial thing. When it's my birthday, I, I feel like Lucy, you know, talking to Charlie Brown and saying what she, ne- she doesn't really want, get what she wants. And she says, I, she, this is what she said, I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. And Charlie Brown says, well, what is it you want? And she answers, real estate. That's what I would like, real estate. If I'm the king, give me what I want, real estate. Or maybe occasionally for my team to make the playoffs. Or not embarrass themselves against the Patriots every single time. But that's another story. 
So, so in this scenario, Jesus is acknowledged. He's titled. He's seen with public statements and ceremonies. They're rituals. He's paid respect. And if, and if you ask the question, Jesus is blank, survey says, and a whole lot of people say, Lord. But he's a whole lot like the British royals. Everybody's fascinated with the British royals. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not British. I don't, I'm, I don't get it. It is said that the queen is, the, is in name the head of state, head of the armed forces, and the head of the Church of England. In practice, she's not allowed to a- actually exercise any authority or even display any preferences. The royal family costs the nation an estimated $67 million a year to take care of, feed and clothe and protect, and to christen boats and show up at events and wave in that funky way that, you know kings and queens do now there is some little known power of consent to block new laws but it is never used and so the royals are just there to kind of look good and for people to celebrate babies and pregnancies and gather and i'm sorry i don't get it i don't care because they aren't my king. They're, they're, they're not, they don't have any authority or in my life. They don't have any authority at all with what happens. Jesus is often given that ceremonial crown by a whole lot of people, well-meaning people. And we understand, okay, look, there's a, a fealty that we need to pay. You know, in order to, you know, it's, it, we, we grant that this is his kingdom, and so we have to bow and kiss the ring. Find a way to do that, show up in church, do some stuff, celebrate his birthday, celebrate his resurrection, and then get on with your own business. It's a ceremonial crown. We'll come back to Colossians if you've got the other, cha- uh, other book, chapter 7 of Mark. I'm going to suggest something to you. That sometimes the biggest roadblock to installing Jesus Christ as the true rightful King and Lord of all is religion. Religion is the paying of fealty. The religious leaders are who Jesus is talking to in Mark 7. I'm just going to, I would encourage you to read this passage when you have more opportunity to just think about it. But the religious leaders of his day are challenging Jesus and his followers over the rituals of the law and what their established religion, how what you're supposed to do to pay fealty to God, how that's supposed to work. And it has to do with you know, ceremonial washing of their hands. And they say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus answers them in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. This is a religious crowd. These are people doing the bowing to the king in their own way. And he replies by quoting the, the prophet Isaiah when God says this, verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and holding on to the traditions of men. What religion can do is it can compartmentalize a life. You know what? Religion is really kind of cool if I just want to live in control of my own life. It dichotomizes things. There's the spiritual or religious stuff and then there's the rest of my life. I'm from Brooklyn and I, my family is Italian and we were never, my family, to our knowledge, never had any ties with the mafia. But the mafia is a real thing. And we had people on our block 
who were involved in organized crime. Most of those people, and if you can say I'm bashing a certain nationality, it's my own nationality, all right? These are Italian Catholic people who were involved in criminal behavior, drug trafficking, murder, uh, protection rackets that was all going on when I was a kid. And these were some of the most religious Christian people you knew. They never missed going to church. They never missed going to confession. They would go and they were abs- there were absolute certain th- uh, rules that they would not break because they feared for their mortal soul. They would go, they would kiss the ring, they would do what it took to play their religion, and then they would get on with their real lives. It's, it's, we have rules in our country that say if somebody owns a, owns a place and somebody rents their place, somebody's renting it, they, they have exclusive right to the rental space. The owner isn't allowed to just go in whenever they want because if they pay their rent, it's their space. Religion does that with God. Look, I come in, I pay my rent. I do it, I, I follow the rules enough. Now, now stay out of what happens inside here. What's going on inside the thing being chiseled that we saw. The practice of religion often is the biggest roadblock to installing Jesus Christ as the true king. Because he can parallel our lives, but he doesn't merge with our life. It's like nations that pay tribute to other nations. They say, here, we understand we're under you. We'll pay whatever you ask, and then we just leave us alone and help us. We just want to function. So there's required performances. We'll sign up for moral codes. We'll tithe. We'll see how many times we're supposed to visit or attend, and then we get on with our real lives. Jesus met, dealt with a whole lot of these people. In Mark chapter 10, you can just glance at it if you want, a couple of chapters over. A very uh, a young, successful businessman encounters Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and asks, hey, what kind of religious practice do I need to make sure I get that part covered of my life? What, need do I, what do I need to do to appease God? And Jesus kind of meets him with the, where he is and understanding where he's going with this. Jesus says, well, you want to play by the rules. You know the rules. Understanding that no one's capable of, of keeping those rules. The rules are there to show us that we need something else. Verse 19 of, of Mark 10 says, You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. He just gives a sampling. And the man responds and says, Teacher, he declared, All these I've kept since I was a boy. I'm, I, I do the religion stuff. I keep the, I keep, I've kept those rules. Jesus does not turn to him and say, Way to go. Oh, we're all good. Jesus wants to expose something deeper. He's going to get to the heart of this guy. He's, he'll ask a question to expose what really is on the throne of his life. That's what he's getting at. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. It's important. His compassion and care. He, wants, he has a plan for this guy's life. He wants to show him how much he loves him, how much he can give him when he, is on, when he himself is on the throne of this guy's life. It says he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Jesus is not just giving him another hoop to jump through here. He's not saying one more requirement and then you're in. What he's exposing is what is... Where, where, what are you really trusting in? Where is your heart set? What's on the throne of your heart? Let's take that off and put me on it. 
That's what it means to have a personal restored relationship with me. And the man's response, at this it says the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. The implication of that is that he was not willing to recognize who the true king was and move whatever else is off the, on the throne off it and put the real king there. Back in chapter 7, let me read that, that, the key verse to you again, verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus got some very, very strong words about people who will declare in a kind of a demonstrative ceremonial way that he is the Lord. Yes, who's the Lord? I got this answer right on the quiz. He is the Lord. He says in, in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, calling the title, ceremonial crown, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not, and here's what we're going to get is a whole little laundry list now, of religion, of rules keeping, of, of paying enough dues. Look at the list, of, look at our resume. You're the king. Look, and look, we did some good stuff for this kingdom. Did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, risen from the grave and King and Lord of all. Can I say this to you? He has no interest in wearing a ceremonial crown without the heart behind it. If you look at Mark 7, verse 19, you see something else he said. He's talking about what makes a person unclean and what makes them clean. Verse 18, are, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? It's not the out, external rules and behaviors and what he takes into, he, into himself. For it, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach. You see the difference? It's the heart he's looking at. Who's on the throne of his heart? And then it goes out of the body. He went on. Verse 20, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. From, from within, out of men's hearts, comes the true stuff of who they are. Can I just ask you this question? In the room here, I'm sure we have a spectrum of people who, this, this may be your first time in church. This may be your first time you've ever even thought about this. You may, you may hold to another faith entirely and you're wondering about the claims of Jesus. You may be somebody who has just recently come to grips with who Jesus Christ is. And maybe you've crossed the line of faith and you've said, I want him to be the savior of my life. Maybe you've known him for years and you've been walking with him. But it doesn't matter. This, the answer to this question is still very, very poignant. If perhaps he, ha, he, he holds the post of king, he wears a ceremonial crown, he is the Lord, but does he own your heart? Is he on the throne of the inside, the, the soul of you? In First Peter 3, this is very simple statement says, in your hearts set us apart Christ as the Lord. If he's not, if there is a wall that keeps him from being in that place, if he's just there in, in language, just there on, in, in ritual or ceremony, can I ask you, knock down that wall. 
See what happens when he takes possession of the true throne of your life because he has said that he gives the fullest life, the fullest, most vibrant life to those who make him the Lord of that life. Not just a partial crown, one other kind of crown that he might wear instead, or a ceremonial crown, which is the partial crown. So for, for some people, he, he's, he's just seen that in, it's his reputation, his name. For others, we're willing for him to be our king, partially. In, in important areas of life, Jesus is welcomed into our life. He's embraced over a great span of our life. We're, we're grateful for his rescue from sin. We're glad that he has done that for us. And, he is, and we welcome his intervention. We call on him because we say there are things going on in our life. There's disease and there's poverty and there's turns in the road and there's betrayals that go on in our life. And we are so glad to have him intervene, bring his power on that, do something about it. So we, so we place the, a partial crown on his head. It's like the triumphal entry a week before Jesus was crucified, where he's coming into the town and people say, let's call him the king. This is the king of the Jews and they're welcoming him as, as the king and they're saying, come in and save us now. We're glad to have you do that. He, he holds that crown until he calls on the subjects to do something or embrace an idea or address something in their life that they don't necessarily agree with. They don't find comfortable. They don't understand it. Or they don't want his involvement in. And then when he does that, oh, it's, this is oppressive. This is intrusive into our lives. This is disruptive. There's stuff that I want to do. I, yes, I would do anything. Well, not that. It's like the old prophets, Hall and Oates, said I'd do anything that you want me to, but I can't go for that. No, no, no can do. And he was answered, that they were, those prophets were answered by another prophet, Meatloaf. <laughs> Said, I'd do anything for love, oh, but, but I won't do that. So what we do is we give him a managed authority in our lives. We give him a partial authority in our lives. And Jesus responds to those who do that. This is Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Master? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Same phrase you used before. But you don't do what I say. And what he goes on to say here, you might sound, this might sound familiar to you because this is the whole person who builds his house on the rock versus the sand. I'll show you what, it's, what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on a rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck uh, that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my, my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. There's a word that gets used in, in religious circles. It's called syncretism. If you study comparative religions at all, you know that syncretism takes certain views from uh, several uh, philosophies or schools of thought and then brings them together. Often syncretism is picking and choosing the stuff that really makes sense and sounds good to us. Universalism does a lot of syncretism in, it, in its approach. But 
but the, but the whole, uh, you, you go to Haiti and they got syncretism all over the place because you've got weird voodoo stuff that comes out of some form of Christianity. Syncretism merges these aspects of belief and schools of thought and makes something that feels more palatable, more makes more sense. In, uh, in circles that aren't even so extreme, we have things that happen in churches today. called We have selective theology. Because there are some teachings that make absolute sense and we feel good about them, but then there's, there's other things that we see from the Bible or that Jesus had to say. And you know what? They don't, they're not adding up quite so much to me. They, they're, not, they're not as socially acceptable. They get kind of make people mad. Or I don't want, I, that doesn't feel good to me. And so we're selective with our theology. And you know what we do? We find ways to reinterpret those passages of the Bible. We find ways to say, well, they, that, he didn't really mean it when he said that because that's too divisive or that's sound, or people would call, him, call it hate speech. People would, people, to say Jesus Christ is the only way the person gets to heaven, how can you dare be so arrogant? So, so what, we'll say, well, that maybe he didn't really mean that. We have selective theology and then it comes down to, there's some of us right now would say, yeah, it's not terrible that people do that kind of stuff. And then there's some of us who exercise selective lordship over our lives. We're glad to, have, to embrace some, most of the, his truths. But there are certain views or practices or habits we're involved in or, or ways of thinking that are never... They're not, they're not brought into the throne room. They're not opened up to him. The chisel is not allowed to hit those things. We're doing okay with those because the pain would be too high or the cost would be too much. Those things are not surrendered to his, theology, to his authority. And so we kind of hide those things. And so we have a partial crown we set on the, on the head of Jesus. He's absolutely my Lord and this, 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 and this. And these things just never quite come up. You know what happens when that occurs? It gets hidden and it festers and it grows and it creates a blockage to the flow of God's joy and love and health in our lives. Sometimes it's not even seen, as, uh, the source is not even understood where it's coming from, but it, but it keeps adding weight. It keeps, adding, keeps, it keeps growing in its dysfunction. Had a clogged drain this past week in one of our bathrooms. Pour on the water and it's just standing water in the basin. And I'm like, oh. I am so good at doing this kind of stuff. So you pour some stuff down it, you know, just pour the junk, get the stuff, just pour the stuff down. It just, it didn't work. So I've done enough before to know, okay, this is going to take some the work and I have to get all things set out and I, and I, you know, I get the band-aids ready because the Bernardo curse requires a ceremonial bloodletting every time I pick up a tool, it's just part of the deal. And then there's the little sneaky, or there's the part that comes out underneath the sink that's got the, what do you, you know, that little trap dealy thing, right? And, and so, so I, I get a bucket under there and I'm starting to unscrew the stuff and the water comes out and then, and I've learned before that that kind of can get all, there can get like nasty stuff. And when you live with women, I don't want to talk about what stuff I've found in certain times. And, and, and I've learned, okay, you clean out that little thing, you put it back on, everything's good. So I did that, took care of it, turned it back on the water, nothing, fills up, nothing. This is now beyond my pay grade. That's all I can do. 
So we thought, do we call a plumber? And then got this crazy idea. Maybe I'll try to do it myself. Now, I've only used one of those, what they call them, snakes, once in my life, and I ruined my friend's snake. Okay? And I've learned that the snake is really, all it is is this, somebody made millions of dollars by calling this thing a tool where it's just wire things that you just turn the wire and you just turn it in things like, how? really, that's all this thing is? So I borrowed one because, of course, I don't own them. Get it all done again. I'm thinking, this is never going to work. And I stick it down in there. It's got a little handle, and I'm turning it. I'm turning it, nothing, nothing. Thinking, there is no way that there's something way down in there that would have caused this to happen. And I'm feeling nothing. And so I go, I I give up. I'm going to call the plumber. And I pull the thing out. And it gets to the end. And attached to the end of this thing is this, I think it was alive. It was, it was this hairball of massy goop stuff that was oozing, and I think it was trying to speak to me. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I think we defied spontaneous generation not being true. It's like this thing has, or maybe it was alive, and now it has crawled in there, and it's died. And as I'm pulling, it slimes its way out, and my wife is holding a flashlight. She starts gagging. Oh, God. <laughs> Go away, go away. This is the man's job. I'm supposed to do this kind of stuff. And I pull this thing out and something the size of a, of like a medium-sized groundhog <laughs> comes out of the, of the pipe and it is oozing goo and stuff and it, and, and it plops in the thing. And I, we all turn away and and, and, then, and then you got to get it off the end of the little metal dealy, which means you have to like pull, and it's got hair and tentacles and stuff. Get all that off there. And I, we put it back on. I get everything, and I turn on the water, and the water drains. And I think for the first time in my life, I actually fixed something at my house. What? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank you. It's a Christmas miracle. All that comes from one small little blockage. One thing that's not allowed to flow through. Just one small little amount of something that got down the drain, but wasn't removed. And then it builds and it grows. And eventually it blocks the entire flow of what's supposed to go through there. That's what giving Jesus a partial crown does. We don't think anybody will notice. We don't think it's getting in the way, but eventually it will block his full flow of his love. That's why Hebrews 12 says, so let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You got a picture? And let us run with perseverance, a race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I love this passage. Romans 14 says this. For those of us who want Jesus to be on the throne, his rightful place in life, this is what's true. None of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to who? The Lord. Not just the casual. This is the master. 
the one who is on the throne that we say everything is going to be submitted to. If we live, we will live presenting everything to him. And if his way costs us our life, that doesn't change the decision. Because it goes on to say, and if we die, we die under the authority of that same king to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord, both of the living and the dead. Colossians 1, remember what it said? So then in all things, all things, he could have the supremacy. Let me just, can I, I'm just going to come right out and ask you. That's what we do around here. What do you avoid inviting his authority into in your life? It may be an involvement that you've got going on. It might be a relationship that you don't want his interference with. It might be something to do with your sexuality. It might have something to do with your agenda for where you think your life should go. It might be your plans for yourself. It may, may be demands on how healthy you should be. It may be a standard that, that you keep or that you don't keep. It may be a habit of your hands or a habit of your mouth or tongue. It might be a habit of your eyes. What is it? What is it that is not brought out into, under the full authority? Can I tell you something? Christ has no interest in wearing a partial crown. Not because he's power hungry, but because he's joy driven. There's this passage in Hebrews 12 that talks about the contrast of who we're coming to when we come to this Lord. We don't come to the, to the Mount of Sinai, which was just full of displays of wrath and power and anger. He says, we come to Mount Zion. When we come to him, we come to somebody who is reigning from the mountain and it says, to thousands upon thousands of angels rejoicing, sharing in joy together. The partial crown blocks the flow of the things that are true for him, that true installation gives. Can you go back to Colossians chapter, this time go to Colossians chapter 2, and listen to what it says about installing Jesus as this. In chapter 1, we talked about him having the supremacy over all. And then it says in chapter 2, verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, not just Savior, Director, Mentor, signal caller of your life, the one on the throne of life. When you receive him, you receive the one who is the Lord of all. Just as you receive him as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith faith as you were taught, overflowing with gratefulness. Because in verse 9 says that because in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He is God in the flesh. And you've been given fullness in Christ, who's the head. There it is, the leader, the Lord, over every power and authority. Second Timothy 3, it says that Jesus Christ knows those who are his. He knows who his subjects are. And he promises to guide them, to protect them, to be involved in them. When Christ is fully installed as the king and Lord over an individual life, He gets to work restoring dignity to somebody who feels like it's been lost. Giving hope to somebody who feels like the opportunity has passed and cannot be found again. Giving purpose and direction in their life. He provides, he says this over and over again, he provides a rock for them to stand on that holds them secure. Do you feel like you need something stable right now? 
You feel like the things that are happening in your life seem so unsettled and so unsure that you have no idea where they're going or why they're happening. He says, when he is the king and he is Lord, he is the one who provides a rock that can stand when everything else is crashing around. He is the one who lifts those who are his full subjects out of out of the collapsing world, out of the entrapments, out of the, the muck and the mire of life. He is the one who redeems a hope for those who feel like they don't have hope anymore, who feel like that this depression will never leave them, who feel like this, uh, this addiction has ne- will never go away. He is one who brings hope that he has an, a plan that will work, that when he chisels and chisels and chisels, something will emerge that wouldn't emerge otherwise. Psalm 32 you, God, are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. Surround me with songs, uh, songs of deliverance. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Jesus Christ, the coronation of the king, has, done, has happened. He has been declared to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the ruler and master and sustainer of all. He is the one hope of the world. He is the king and he is the Lord. Is he fully installed as your king? As your Lord for every part of your life? If not, that installation can happen right now. Right now where you sit, you can bring into the light that which has been in the dark. You can admit what has only been a partial crown you can you can confess to him that it's only been ceremonial that he's been your king and you can declare to him i bow to you i give you the 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 reins of control of my life i bow to the one who is my king and my lord we're going to sing a song and as we do that i encourage you if there is something specific in your heart that even as we've been thinking about it this morning it comes to your mind It's the blockage. It's the thing that gets held back. It's the thing that is debilitating you. It's an attitude or an action or or a habit, whatever it might be, for you to confess that, surrender to him, and know that with the moment you do in your heart, he will step onto that throne, the rightful throne in your life, and he will bring restoration and wholeness and healing because of his great love that has never stopped for you. Would you incline your heart to him right now? Bow with me in prayer. We'll go right into a song where we get a chance to express it to him. I will be the first one here to say to you, God, that when I talk about this, I, it's a mirror that shines up in my life and I know that there are attitudes that I har- have harbored. And there are admissions that I don't want to make. There are things that I don't want to let go. They get in the way of you being installed fully as the, 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 the one on the throne in my life. I want for me, for, that it, for in all things, you to have the supremacy. And I pray that you would forgive me, cleanse me, help me take the action steps that show repentance that say, I want to follow you above anything else. I want you. For anybody in the room, all of us in the room, would you make this a moment where your spirit moves in us and it helps us identify where we stand with your throne? And make this a moment where we take a step and we take a stand and we say, 
You're my king. You're my Lord. 